Welcome to the Locked On Sooners Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Now, here's your host, John Hoover. It is Locked On Sooners, your daily Oklahoma Sooners podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm John Hoover, and for the next 30 minutes, I am in your ear. This Thursday, December 5th, we do this every single day. If you call yourself a Sooner fan, well, then you need to tell your friends, tell your family, heck, tell your Chinese water deer that you are locked on Sooners. Again, John Hoover from 107.7 The Franchise in Oklahoma City, 107.9 The Franchise Tulsa. I write columns and blogs at thefranchiseok.com, and I cover the Big 12 for sportingnews.com. Obviously, the best way to keep up with my content is just follow me on social media. On Twitter, I'm at John E. Hoover. On Facebook, I'm at John E. Hoover Media. And on YouTube, I'm just plain old John Hoover. You, there you're going to find all the OU videos, interviews, and whatnot right there. And don't forget to follow Locked On Sooners on Twitter at Locked On Sooners. It is Thursday, so I'm giving you my watch list. Three Sooners to watch in Saturday's Big 12 Championship game. Three Baylor Bears to watch as well. We're also going to do something special today. I don't get to talk to Bill Biedenboe every week. He's a Tuesday-only guy, and I'm not usually there on Tuesday night. So today I'm going to play you some clips from our interview after practice this week. One of my favorite guys to talk to without question, because his insight and his analysis of what's going on is just unbelievable. And then we're going to finish Thursday strong like we always do. It's Blinken Riley. Okay, first things first, Oklahoma and Baylor get it on for the Big 12 Championship Saturday morning, 11 a.m. at Jerry World in Arlington. It's a rematch of their big game three weeks ago in Waco, which OU won 34-31 after falling behind 28-3. It was, as you know by now, the biggest comeback in school history. And don't forget, Utah plays Oregon on Friday night in the Pac-12 championship game. So so we're going to know a lot more when Saturday morning rolls around after Friday night's game the night before. If you're an OU fan, you're obviously rooting for the Ducks. Then... The door to the playoff is wide open, and if OU beats Baylor, they walk right in. Assuming, of course, that number one LSU beats number four Georgia later in the day on Saturday. If Georgia wins, OU will not be in the playoff and would, in that scenario, go to the Sugar Bowl, probably against Auburn or, I think, for the sake of TV ratings, Alabama. Jalen Hurts against Nick Saban? Yeah, who wouldn't want to watch that? Anyway, the Big 12 title game is on ABC, and OU is a nine-point favorite. The watch list. My three Sooners to watch are pretty cut and dry. One is C.D. Lamb. Didn't play the last time these teams met, and in his last two games since he's been back, he's caught just six passes for 52 yards. A healthy and I think dynamic C.D. Lamb probably changes the way this game looks, don't you think? The Baylor secondary is not the strength of their team. Frankly, they're not overly talented. I do think Graylin Arnold, their cornerback, is really good. He made second team all Big 12 this week. But on the whole, I think the Baylor DBs can be had if Jalen Hurts has the time to throw against a really good Baylor defensive line. And if he does, watch out for a big game from C.D. Lamb. My second Sooner to watch, it's Kenneth Murray. I mean, Baylor didn't really try to run the football in a conventional way back on November 16th. Their two running backs, John Lovett and Jamichael Hasty, they combined for just four carries in that game. I think Matt Rule got away from his strength by asking Charlie Brewer to run a bunch of quarterback draws. I mean, they were working, you know, as quarterback draws do, but that's not a reliable way to move the football. So I expect Matt Rule to involve Hasty and Lovett a lot more this game, meaning Kenneth Murray has to read his keys and play his rules, not overrun his lanes, and make tackles. And my third sooner to watch, there's no one you're going to need to watch more 
than Jalen Hurts. Hurts had two fumbles and an interception in the last meeting. One was going into the end zone, so that actually took seven points off the board for Oklahoma. And two others led directly to Baylor touchdowns, so that was 14 on the board for them. That's a 21-point swing. Hertz ended up winning the game, obviously with his ability and his sheer will, really, but he knows he was sloppy, and if he cleans up his game, cuts out the turnovers, I think Oklahoma wins comfortably. Now my three Baylor players to watch. They better watch James Lynch, the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year, sacks leader, the baddest man OU has faced all season. He's a beast. But Lincoln Riley and Bill Biedenboe made a change early in the last game that has really worked out, both in the second half of that game and in the Sooners' final two games of the season. They pulled Eric Swenson out at left tackle, and they replaced him with R.J. Proctor. Now, R.J. Proctor struggled early in the season because he just didn't know the plays. He just didn't know the offense. He has really gotten a lot better. I talked to Creed Humphrey on Tuesday, and he said that Proctor's a lot more comfortable in his role now. He's obviously gotten better since he struggled earlier in the season. R.J. Proctor at left tackle and Adrian Ely at right tackle have a lot better chance of keeping Lynch off of Jalen Hurts. Terrell Bernard has just been a tackling machine since he took over at middle linebacker for Clay Johnston. Johnston was leading the Big 12 in tackles by a lot now when he tore his ACL in week six, and Bernard just slid over from weak side linebacker, and there's been times when he's just been unstoppable. He made the switch at the halfway point of the season, then he had nine tackles against Oklahoma State, 10 tackles against West Virginia, 19 against TCU, and then 15 three weeks ago against Oklahoma, when he also had a quarterback sack, one and a half tackles for loss, a fumble recovery, and a quarterback hurry. Again, I thought Baylor didn't throw the football enough in their first meeting. Thought Matt Rule fell in love with the quarterback draw a little bit too much. Charlie Brewer ended up hitting 18 of 29, which isn't bad, but he just had 194 yards. So my third bear to watch is wideout Denzel Mims. He's an all-Big 12 guy. He's had four 100-yard games this year and actually a 99-yard game to go with that. He had a nice game against OU, too. Six catches for 92 yards and scored two touchdowns. A couple of those catches were amazing. But I think Matt Rule is really going to try to exploit the OU defense this week by running Mims in motion, moving him around on the inside, run him in the slot, run him on the outside, trying to get him lost in coverages. Coming up next on the Locked On Sooners podcast, a special segment from Tuesday night's interview with OU offensive line coach Bill Biedenboe, and we're going to wrap the show with Blinken Riley. All that's next on the Locked On Sooners podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. But first, treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, Locked On listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code LOCKEDON. If you're on the go and you can't visit DoorDash right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com offers. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Sooners Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Before we get to Bill Beaton, both some news and notes. 
Sooner Basketball. OU plays at North Texas tonight. The game is 7 p.m. at the Super Pit in Denton, Texas. OU is 6-1 and one and coming off the Thanksgiving break, while North Texas is 3-5. and five. The OU women lost at Western Kentucky on Wednesday night, 74-63, and they fall to 4-4 four four on the season. All right, let's hear from Bill Biedenboe from his interview scrum on Tuesday night. Trust me, you're going to want to hear this. The guy has some amazing perspective, some incredible analysis, and he just looks at the game a little differently. I think that's one reason why he's probably the best offensive line coach in the country. Here's Bill Biedenboe. No, you know, we really treat it like we – I mean, obviously you've played them. You know what I mean? You understand their schemes. You've been on the field with them. The players have been out there. You know, they understand better the guys that they're going against and what they're doing, but – you really have to treat it almost like you haven't played them. That's how you have to prepare. You got to study the same way. You can't just say, "Okay, I've already seen that. I know what they're going to do." Because I would imagine they're going to—they're going to do probably a, a lot of the same stuff and then come up with adjustments, just like we are. But um, so you got to really prepare like you—it's um, the first time you're playing them. That's what I was going to say because you can't really change an offense. So you can't change a whole bunch. You are what you are at this point in the year, right? Yeah, for the most part, you know, for the you can make slight tweaks here. I'm, I'm sure defensively they'll have some different alignments and maybe different movements and blitzes and things like that. But um, you know, for us, it comes down to rules within the scheme that we're running. So um, yeah, we're not going to change a bunch of things we we had throughout the year. I mean, you run different plays. You may see a new play here or there that you, you put in, but you know, you're not changing a whole bunch. Bill, you feel like your guys are hitting, hitting the stride here at the end of the year. Yeah, I think I, well, I think you know for the most part we've played a little bit inconsistent, but I think for the most part we've gotten better throughout the year, um, which you expect to happen, you know. And, and I've said it, you know, numerous times. I mean, they're young guys, and now they're seeing things over and over. They're practicing together over and over. Um, still, you know, guys coming in and out a little bit, but um, you know, for the most part, they've all had a bunch of reps together. So yeah, I think we're getting better. RJ's comfortability with the GT counter. How much did that play into? Because it seems like he's, he, you guys ran it, I guess, a little bit more than normal. Yeah, I mean, they they played it a little bit different. So we we, um, you know. People have a scheme for that play. I mean, that's what everybody uh, obviously is trying to stop for us, and they do it different things. So really what's happened is it's opened up other plays. I can't say, okay, RJ, this is the reason that it was it was good. We did some different things, and some of the front things that they did lent itself to that play. Since RJ went in um, against Baylor, how do you think he's helped the line? Um, you know, I think, you know, obviously, um, you know, he's getting better as, as well as everybody else has. You know, I don't think it's him in particular. I mean, I thought Swenson was playing good. He, you know, got hurt a little bit before that week, got hurt, wasn't playing great in the Baylor game. So we put, you know, RJ in and, you know, he went in there and did a good job. As the weather has become unpredictable and somewhat nasty, as we saw Saturday night, kind of gratifying to be able to grind things out like you guys have done the last few weeks. Yeah, I always like that. You know, I mean, you know, obviously I want to win, and however we have to do that, it doesn't matter to me. But yeah, being an offensive lineman or an offensive line coach, I mean, that's what you like. You like playing, running the ball, and being physical, and you know, getting to wear on people. You know, I think, and you can see that throughout the game. You know, I mean, you know, we got big dudes, we got big bodies. You know, and and you just keep leaning on people and keep, uh, you know. You know, pushing and, and being physical with guys, it's going to wear guys down. Is that part of the is that part of the improvements you're talking about too? Is guys maybe attitude in terms of being more physical? Oh yeah, I think no doubt. I think I think and I don't know if you you know last week against TCU, I thought it was the best that we played physical and finishing. 
You know what I mean? And I thought, not that it hadn't been good before, you know what I mean? But just consistently throughout the game, you know, I thought it was, you know, the best game that we had in terms of playing really physical and finishing against a good front. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, that obviously I thought carried over to this week. And um, it's going to have to carry over till you know, this week with the group that we're playing. Being able to run the ball, though, that's kind of been your guys' trademark in the month of November. Does that tell you that you're headed in the right direction as far as the unit as a whole? Well, yeah. I mean, I, and I don't think it's just because we're running the ball. I think we're doing other things good, too. But, yeah, I think, again, it's just – you know, just the improvement that they've made. They've been, again, playing together, you know, quite a bit now, practicing together. So, you know, they're talented dudes. So, obviously, you would hope to see that natural progression, and, and we have. Kennedy Brooks is such a patient runner. I mean, uh, I would think your offensive line loves having him run behind them. Uh, we love all the backs that run behind them. I, I mean, really, you know, I mean, it's – I mean, we don't know, and I know I get asked this, and people, you know, maybe think it's something, but hell, I don't even know who's in the game. I mean, there's a there's a play called, you know what I mean, and there's a front that we are blocking, and you block it no matter who's back there. You know what I mean? All of our backs are good. Yeah, he's a special dude, but I thought I like all of our running backs. I was listening to the, the replay of or watched the replay of the game, and they panned over to you and talked about something you said about crushing the will of the opponent throughout the game, can you sense the the offensive line, your offensive line starting to, I guess, get to that point where they're, the, the mentality is what you want them to be? I think I think that's, you know, good question. I think that's like everything else we're doing. You know, it, it is not where it needs to be, you know, and, it, and it's probably for me never going to be exactly where it needs to be, but it is getting better. It's like everything with them, their fundamentals, their technique. Assignment's been pretty good throughout the year, but you know everything that they're doing to become a quality offensive line is improving. Bill, you had the first crack at Alex Grinch's defense this year during fall camp than any of the opponents this year. Did you know at that point that it was going to turn into the kind of the unit that it is right now? You know, you never know, but I did. I thought it would cause people problems, no doubt. I mean, you know, most people are so. Um, front specific in how they're going to block things and you know who you're identifying and it always changes with our guys you know and they're there a lot of people you can get and I hadn't I hadn't sat there and studied our defense and broke them down I'm not you know that I've got other things to worry about but most people have tendencies that you can see you know movements and how they align and where they're aligned you know our defense mixes it up so well that you don't have a bunch of huge tendencies and I knew it was going to cause people problems I at least I thought it would you know and especially for us being a young group I think it it really helped us you know because they do so much stuff it's it's damn near every front and every movement and every pressure that you're going to see and we see that every day in practice so yeah it sucked early on but I mean it, it really helped us I think improved throughout the year. I don't know if it was asked this at the beginning of the year, but what were your thoughts on Alex Grinch when he first got here? Uh, you know, I I, heard, I, I knew um, a kid I coached, uh, Clay McGuire. Um, he, he he worked with him at Washington State, so he had a lot of really good things to say about him. I, I didn't know much, quite honestly. You know, I just knew. And then Dave Nickel, a good friend of mine, worked with him, so um, had obviously heard really good things. And you know, great dude, really really good recruiter. I mean, obviously, you know, the results speak for themselves. Really good coach. What stands out about this Baylor's front? This Baylor front, and how just, what makes them so special? 
I think there's a lot. I think it starts with experience. I mean, I think that's where it starts. I mean, you got two seniors that are really, really good. You got a junior that's really good. Those guys have played together a bunch. Um, it's kind of if you look at our our offensive line from last year. I mean, you had experienced dudes that had played a bunch of football that had really, really improved from the first time that that um, we had played against those guys. I mean. You know, obviously they're coached extremely well. They've got a really, really good system. They play hard. They're big dudes. They're physical. Um, there's a lot that stands out. The you said the TCU game was one that you thought the offensive line played really well. That six that six minute drive uh, against last weekend against Oklahoma State. Would you is that one of your better drives? I guess as a whole, offensive line wise. Oh, wow. That's good. I, I, I can't really honestly answer that. I mean, I think we've had good drives, you know, throughout the whole year. You know what I mean? I can't say that was the best one or not. I mean, we ran the ball quite a bit, um, you know, but can I say it's the best one? No, I can't. I guess, so do you think it was during the game, did you think that was the time that you all felt you gained control of the game with that drive? Um, did you feel it? You know, I thought early on, I mean, we went down and scored now, and that's happened before, but I mean, we went down and scored pretty easy in four plays. Now, do you have control of the game? I felt good. I mean, when you can go down and score early, you, you feel good if you continue to play like that. What do you think times? of the Baylor defense now that you've seen them three other games that they've played since you guys played them? Well, there's, they're no different. They're really good defense. I mean, hell, they're, I mean, look at their, and I don't even look totally at numbers, but you look at their numbers. I mean, I mean, they just turned the, you know, team over six times. I mean, they got what, 40 sacks? I mean, how many turnovers? I mean, I mean, you know, and I said this the last time we played them. I mean, if they didn't go into overtime games, yeah. I mean, what would they be giving up a game? Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, so, you know, and that's with teams, you know, being able to score from the 25 yard line. I mean, they're impressive now. I mean, they're really, really good, you know, and, and like I said, they're coached well. You know, they understand the system. It's changed from a little bit from last year to this year, but now they're whatever 12 games into it. They've got talent at every position. They play hard. You know, they're coached well, fundamentally sound. I mean, you got to beat these guys. Are there times, Bill, that you, you're on the sideline and you can feel the other team's will start to wane a little bit? Oh, well, like, it's you know, a good you've question. Got them um, and you're wearing them down and let's keep doing this kind of thing. You know, I think, you know, you can sense it probably more as a player. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I think you see it a little bit on the sideline. I mean, I, you know, I don't know for sure, but you know, when you see holes and you see guys getting driven into the ground, you know, you feel pretty good. Is that when communication with a guy like Creed becomes more important just as far as he's played, he's been there. He knows what it's like to be able to tell you, yeah, we got him where you want him. Um, no, we don't ever have anybody yeah. where we where we want them, you know. And there was actually a moment, um, God, I can't remember third, middle third, maybe early fourth quarter, where we had just scored, and I felt like almost, you know, we were a little satisfied. And I told him, I said, keep these guys going. You know what I mean? I mean, this this isn't over. We got to finish the game. So, um, yeah, we don't ever have anybody where we want them. Up next on the Locked On Sooners podcast, it's the one, the only, the post bedlam. Blinken Riley. That's right. He's coming in next on the Locked On Sooners podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And 
we're back on the Locked On Sooners podcast. Man, it has been a crazy week. We got a championship game coming up. We're coming off a of Bedlam week, and who better to talk about coming off a of Bedlam week and playoffs and championships than the man himself, Blinken Riley? It's Stephen Smith. Stephen, thank you once again for joining us. Appreciate it as always. Absolutely, it's good to be back. Yeah. So, uh, okay, your thoughts on you know you're kind of an expert in the field of Bedlam. Uh, what are your thoughts on the uh, the Bedlam game? How things shook out there? I mean, obviously, I loved how the game went down. Just from a game plan execution, it seemed about as good as Oklahoma would have wanted. Defense held up, played consistent football, which is you know something a lot of us didn't know if it would ever come back after Kansas State, Iowa State, and Baylor. But they've been playing pretty good, um, solid, consistent football over the last two games yeah two i called it two and a half games since the second half of the baylor game but still a lot of up and down in there i thought the oklahoma state game represented oklahoma's best considering the competition considering the venue the the rivalry i thought it was oklahoma's arguably best game of the year meaning their most complete game their least up and down game maybe is a good way of saying it yeah, the uh, there's been a lot of talk about quote unquote complimentary football, um, and that seemed to be a pretty good example of it. Uh, the defense played really, really well, you know, as good as can be expected, and uh, it's just it's just really nice to see, you know, because rivalry games, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, I wish Oklahoma State could have been at full strength. That that game could have uh, a game could have been one for the ages with Tylen Wallace and Spencer Sanders in there, but. Oklahoma gets the win, 34-16. to uh, The Sooners had already clinched a spot in the Big 12 championship game before Bedlam ever kicked off. So, you know, now we're on to talking about and analyzing and breaking down and covering the Big 12 championship game. But before we do that, we got to talk about Tuesday night's college football playoff ranking. Did the committee get it right? Oklahoma moves up a spot to number six but does not jump Utah. Utah moves up to number five. Baylor moves up to number seven. It looks like the winner of the Big 12, specifically if it's Oklahoma, for sure, probably gets into the playoff, uh, assuming Georgia loses to LSU in the SEC. But uh, if if Utah wins on Friday night, it's going to come down between Utah and the winner of the Big 12 championship. Did the committee get it right in your eyes? Well, I mean, it depends on what do you, what do you mean by get it right is – in their own mission, they say that they're out to pick the f- four best teams or rank the teams as they see are the best teams. And, you know, just skill what a team can do on the field. Um, you look at analytics, and honestly, it's a toss-up. Some have Utah with an edge over Oklahoma. Some have Oklahoma with a slight edge over Utah. I, I poured through about 10 or 12 different indexes and – it's it's a bit of a toss-up, but then you look at what the committee usually actually does and throws in some eye tests, some resume, some other things, and you know all those seem to be going in OU's favor. So those two together, I expected Oklahoma to be number five, but you know, it's it seems to be uh, whatever the committee is feeling that week. Yeah, I, I think uh, Utah's got a legitimately great defense. They've got guys. I, I heard Pete Thamel on the Yahoo Sports podcast talking about NFL scouts telling him 
that there are seven guys that are draftable on that defense um, right now. So Utah is very good defensively. And you can see that their defensive efficiency is fifth, whereas Oklahoma's is 42nd. Um, OU's got the statistically best defense in the Big 12 Conference. But Utah's defense is really, really stinking good. But is that the only thing? Is that is that defensive rating the only thing? Is that the argument you would make against Oklahoma if you were a Utah fan? And could you go any further? Well, uh, you know, we've talked about on here um, my kind of quick – quick and dirty efficiency, you know, the margin between how many yards you give up per play and how many yards you gain per play. Mm-hmm. Um, there's only three teams that are in the top 10 in both of those metrics. And those are Ohio state, Clemson and Utah. Wow. So, um, Utah's a good team. Utah's a, a legitimate team. Um, and you know, I think in, you know, I'm probably going to get hung out to dry saying this, but in Oklahoma fans' minds, you know, obviously a fan, your team can do no wrong, um, especially when you're a blue blood and then there's just this team in the, you know, desert out west that nobody knows of, hasn't hasn't been in the national spotlight, and then they start acting like they're as good as you are. Well, you're going to get some uprising, but – to be fair, as far as the numbers and analytics say, they are as good as maybe anyone. Yeah. So what do you think? If Oklahoma wins, Utah wins, should the Sooners get in? Are they four, one of the four most deserving, or are they one of the four best teams, do you think? I don't know about four best teams, but I think if the committee holds true to kind of what they're what they've been doing this year as far as weighting certain things like how good a team is, but also what you've done. I think if Oklahoma wins in you know a game that doesn't feel like they just survived, I feel like Oklahoma, o- Oklahoma gets the nod. Yeah, I actually feel pretty much the same way about OU. We're talking with uh, Stephen Smith. He is Blinken Riley. He is at Blinken Riley on Twitter. Find his work at BlinkenRileyPresents.com. Love that stuff. You made a great point on Twitter earlier in the week, as you always do, really, truly. Ohio State, should they rest Justin Fields? Knowing that if they win or lose in the Big Ten Championship game, he's got a banged up this and a bruised that, you know, uh, should they should they do with him what NFL teams do that clinch in Week 15 or Week 16 and rest their starters, knowing that they're in the playoff, win or lose. I mean, that seems to be the sentiment, right, is that Ohio State can basically lose this game and probably are still safe. You know, they legitimately have one of their star players, if not their most impactful player, Justin Fields, who had sprained their, his MCL, re-aggravated it against Michigan. Is that crazy? I, I don't think it's crazy to think, you know, if you feel confident that you're going to get in regardless to – sit that player don't risk re-aggravating that injury or injuring something else and you know go on i mean essentially sacrifice your (laughs) lessen your odds for a conference championship and increase your odds for a national championship i mean if, if there was no other context right and you said if you if you could decrease your odds here for a conference championship but it ensures you increase your odds for a national championship i feel like no head coach like in the country would take the conference championship and then risk the the natty, right? That seems like an easy decision. The kicker here is like in the NFL, those teams, you know, when they make that kind of decision, they're mathematically, like logically in, 
regardless. They've clinched it. Here, this is only like a theoretical, like a, an assumption. We only assume that if Ohio State loses, they're still in. So there's a bit of a risk there that you're assuming. But, you know, it, it all started out as a joke. But I, mean, I think that's a very real situation that Ohio State might consider. I'm sure it'll be fine. I mean, they've got Matthew Baldwin to uh, tra- Oh no! Wait, wait a minute. He transferred to TCU. No, they've got Tate Martell to uh, to back. Oh no! Wait, he transferred to Miami. Yeah, no, they, uh, they they will be literally if they do that. If they were to do something like that, they'd be starting a guy that is basically a fourth string quarterback. Yeah, and and conference championships are are important to these guys. So there's I, I think on the whole, there's no way he does this. There's no way he misses it for the sake of sitting out. If he misses it, it's going to be because he can't play. Right, I, and, and I agree. I, I don't think there's any way that they. If, if a guy can't play or can play, he will play, you know, but like I said, you, you, you think about it and yes, conference championships are important, but if you knew that you could maybe turn four weeks of rest into five weeks of rest um, and give yourself a better shot at, at a uh, national championship, that's, it seems awful tempting to me. Yeah. That dude, uh, Justin Fields, great quarterback already, but Man, getting an MCL like he did, getting rolled up on by his own blocker, and then coming, missing a series, coming back in the game, and on the first play, he throws a touchdown pass against Michigan. Just a bullet. That dude's legacy at Ohio State is basically secure. So, yeah, what a performance by him. Hey, uh, the Bedlam series somehow just got more lopsided. 89, 18, and 7, I think. So, let's do it. Give me your best Bedlam fact coming off the Bedlam game for Bedlam Fact Friday. Okay. So here's a story, and this is this is a true story. I'm sitting on the couch, and it is maybe it's the day after I posted the big thread, maybe the maybe the Friday. And I'm sitting on the couch, and I see somebody retweet one of the individual ones. Um, it and it had you know a bunch of Mike Gundy is first in this, you know, points per game, all time winning percentage, you know, all these things among OSU coaches, but he's tenth in Bedlam winning percentage among OSU coaches. You know, the greatest coach in the history of Oklahoma State is 10th in winning percentage among OU, OSU coaches in Bedlam. And I saw that, and then I it dawned on me, there's only been nine coaches win a Bedlam game. And I, I panicked. I thought, oh man, I did something wrong. I made a mistake, and I'm somebody's about to catch it. So I had to go... And had to solve my own riddle, essentially. Turns out I did not make a mistake. There are only nine OSU coaches ever to win a Bedlam game, Mike Gundy being one of them. But Mike Gundy is still 10th in Bedlam winning percentage. So wait, only nine coaches have won a Bedlam game? Yeah. But he's 10th in winning percentage? Yes. I'm sorry, the math the math doesn't work for me, Stephen. You're going to have to explain. So there's a fella named Albert Exendine. Who coached, right. who coached Oklahoma State for two years in 1934 and 1935. His record in Bedlam was 0-1-1, which gives him a Bedlam winning percentage of 250, <laughs> which is better than Mike Gundy's current 130. 133. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Well, there you go. You got a winning percentage and tying percentage. That are factored into uh, the Bedlam rivalry now. Yes, there is a there is an OSU coach who never actually won a Bedlam game that has a better winning percentage against o- OU than Mike Gundy. And on that note, that insane Bedlam note, 
we will leave it there. Stephen Smith, thanks for joining us as always on Thursday on the Locked On Sooners podcast. You and your Bedlam Fact Fridays are, they're special. That's all I got. They're special. (laughs) Thank you, sir. That's it for today's show. Locked On Sooners will be back tomorrow, and I'll give you my keys to the game. We're going to hear from defensive coordinator Alex Grinch this time, and we'll wrap up the week with my Ask Hoover blog. Can't wait. The Locked On Sooners podcast is part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm John Hoover, and you can follow me on Twitter at John E. Hoover, on Facebook at John E. Hoover Media, on YouTube at John Hoover. Find all my columns, stories, blogs, and more at thefranchiseok.com. And don't forget to follow the Locked On Sooners podcast on Twitter at Locked On Sooners. Hit that subscribe button, share your Locked On Sooners podcast with your friends, and I would really love it if you left me a comment or a rating. Thanks for listening. See you guys.